0: Good day, listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad that you're with us. My name is Jonathan, and we have a uh, friend here with us today. We've got Cherie on the line. So, Sheree, welcome to the program. Hey. And uh, I'm, I'm so glad to have you on because, you know, we're going to be talking today about a subject that, let's just be honest, a lot of people aren't talking about. or Or if they're talking about it, it has become so politicized, and there are so many Sides to this issue that it's almost like it just creates all kinds of emotion. So I would say that there's a lot of ignorance around this this topic. And and what's the topic? You might be asking listeners. Uh, The topic is sex offenders and prison and and all the things that are comprised in that. And what does justice and injustice look like? What how does the grace of God mix into this issue of sex offenders? Um, And again, I know I know that just by saying that. That listeners probably already have an opinion formed about this subject. So, Cherie, why don't you tell us um, why you're on the program with us today uh, around this particular topic? Maybe tell us, tell our listeners um, where you're at right now, kind of in your life and in your journey, and uh, maybe a little bit of background on how you got to this point.
1: Okay. Well, right now I am functioning as a single mom. I, uh, I work full-time and I full-time take care of my children who each have their own individual issues that, um, that need special care and, and working with. Uh, um, I am the, full, the sole supporter of my family. My family is on government aid. We have to make, make use of many social services and have had to for some time because my husband was arrested five years ago due to a pornography addiction. He was tried and convicted and sentenced to over twelve years in federal prison um for watching and distributing uh pornography,
0: yeah, and so uh obviously there's a lot of things that can go into that can you can you share a little bit with uh, with us uh just what it was like, like initially to to have that kind of disruption in your in your life i mean how did this land on both you and him? And what was that process like of just legally facing these charges?
1: Yeah, wow. Well, I didn't know that he even watched pornography. He had told me that he didn't like pornography at all. Um, he wasn't interested in the stuff. We had been married for 20 years, uh, um, and I had I had no idea. Um, we were high school sweethearts. We grew up together. I met him when I was 16, and his family was my family our best friends were all the same friends and, uh, and nobody knew anything about his pornography addiction. Um, so it was a complete shock when one day, uh, he drove home from what was his then current job to tell me that he had been fired. And in his own words, uh, for the first time in his life, he couldn't come up with a lie to tell me, which pulled the rug out from underneath me because up until that point, I had no idea that I had been lied to at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out that he had had a pornography addiction since he was about 14 so long before I even met him, he never told a soul about it, but uh, he had been watching pornography at that point in time on a laptop that belonged to work that he traveled to and from work with um, and, uh, and work had discovered, even though he was a computer guy, had gone through and discovered where he had put, you know, put the pieces together and found out he had been watching some child pornography and they were legally bound to turn it over um, to report him. And, uh, and we prayed a lot, uh, we had a lot of issues to work through at that point in time, and um, it was, a, it was a, a lot of family issues and a struggle to, to work together. Of course, he was completely unemployed, and I had been a stay home mom up until that point, so it was on me to suddenly go out and try to get a job um, to support our family, to support our kids, uh, and about three months into that, then um, the federal government came out, raided our house. That was a fun day, too, and, uh, and eventually uh, arrested him did not let him have probation at all, did not let him have bail. Um, he immediately went into the prison system and uh, a year and a half later was finally tried and uh, and sentenced to over 12 years in prison.
0: And so, you know, obviously uh, this turns everybody's life and your family completely upside down. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about this term, sex offender. It's It's, I guess, the the legal term that is labeled to somebody that has committed a crime of this sort, right?
1: It is. It is, and it's a it's a broad term. Um, it can it can uh, include everybody from child molesters, child predators, to your porn addicts or your porn distributors. Um, it's all in one broad term.
0: And so. What, what kind of difference does that make in terms of things like sentencing? Is, is because it's one term that covers all of these things, is there not necessarily any kind of variance in terms of sentencing guidelines for this wide range of offenders?
1: Being the federal, um, federal prison system, it is a very complicated, convoluted system uh, that even criminal lawyers have a difficult time navigating to try to figure it out. But it is all based on a point system. You get points for for different things and different offenses. And the higher your points are, the uh, the worse of, of a menace to society you are considered. Um, and the higher your sentence will be. But these guys are facing uh, federal mandatory minimums of five to 20 years. And where we live in, uh, in the South Texas area, almost all of the guys are getting the maximum sentence of 20 years. We were super fortunate um, to get the 12 and a half year sentence that he got.
0: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit just about the uh, uh, the initial reaction that I think most people will have, and and there's a there's a part of the reaction that I think is uh, is maybe good and right because we're talking about uh, offenses that involve children, right? Whether it be on a screen or whether it be in real life, and and there is a sense I think in our just our humanity. That we have this innate desire to protect children, right? Yeah,
1: so, as we should. So,
0: how do you, how do you sort sort of take this whole mix of what may seem very much like the 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 umbrella of sexual offenders from a legal standpoint being really really broad, and maybe there's even some, um, if I can put it this way, some some injustices in how some of the treatment of the people that are labeled with sexual offenses get. And we'll get into that in a minute. But then how do you balance that also with the reality that, man, we have this strong, strong desire as human beings to protect children and we don't want children to be harmed. We don't want children to be hurt in these kinds of ways. Um, How did you personally deal with all of this in your own heart and in your own life? And how do you maybe try to speak with others About the realities that there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of um, you know strong feelings that people can have because the fact that these particular offenses do involve children. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, for sure, definitely, it is wrong, and these guys deserve punishment. Um, But for but I I agree. I feel that uh, these sentences are really outrageous. But as far as how I dealt with it, um, it was a lot. I mean, it's, it's a lot. There's the whole marriage piece of the the, the, the betrayal, the betrayal trauma that I encountered, um, dealing with the that my husband had been lying to me all this time and that he had been watching pornography. Um, and of course, I have my kids to consider. Um, I, as a friend most recently told me, um, she called me the June Cleaver of moms, um, is, is how I had been in my what I consider my prior life, prior to all of this disclosure. Uh, and so um, my children had not been touched. My children were protected. My children were safe. Um, I had lots of long conversations with my husband um, that his was a, a screen thing, that he had watched stuff on the screen and had been watching it on his own in the middle of the night when when nobody else was around, he would get up and go get on his laptop and, and watch stuff and download things. Um, there's a, a wide variety of pornography itself. And I know that, that you deal a lot of with the pornography addicts, um, which is, another problem that we encounter is that a lot of society don't really acknowledge the addiction piece of pornography, even though it is highly addictive. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, lots, lots of addiction there with the, with the pornography, um, trying to come clean with that. And my children had not been touched. CPS came out, uh, with any federal case and they interviewed all of my children to confirm that. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't try to put myself into other people's, footsteps. I, it's, it's impossible to tell how you would respond in that situation. So, um, I would like to say that if my, if my kids had, had had a problem that I would respond this way or I would respond that way. But the reality is I have, I have no idea how I would respond, um, in those different situations. I just know I'm super fortunate that, uh, that I have the, the situation that I do.
0: And obviously you and your husband have chosen to remain together, i mean as a as as a married right. couple, so talk a little yeah. bit about that and what kind of uh, what kind of challenges that maybe has even posed for you because I would imagine there's a lot of people that even a lot of Christians that would have said he's a leper, toss him out of the camp, and you move on with your life so what was that like for you to walk that path and for your husband to walk that path of saying, even though we're in this situation where we cannot Currently, be physically together in the same space. We're going to choose to remain in our covenant.
1: Yeah. So my husband didn't really have to deal with this. He was removed and put into prison, and uh, in his own little bubble. And in a way, that protected him. And I got the the full onslaught of just about everything. Um, in some ways, that was harder than the the disclosure. Um, I mean, you're right. When when I talk to people about what happened to my husband. Um, about half of the people that I interacted with on a daily basis, and I'm a very social extroverted person, about half of my circle, they cut me off right away. And the backlash to me and to my children, they didn't want to interact with us, they didn't want to have anything to do with us, they were angry at us and mad at us, um, uh was was hard and caused a lot of trauma on its own. And then a couple months down the road, uh when people started realizing that I was not getting a divorce and I had no intention of divorcing my husband. Another half of those people that had stuck around with me also just, they were, they, I got angry emails. I got angry phone calls. Um, I got in-person glares and cold shoulders or outright um, being attacked verbally in person. My, um, my youngest son was just about three. He was right about to turn three when it happened. He was excluded from play dates and told that he wasn't welcome to come over to, um, to people's houses, you know, and then, and then my children were personally attacked. You know, that's, that was, was hard too.
0: Why do you think, uh, you know, having walked this path personally, why do you think there is this idea in a large number of people in the society that this particular type of offense is irredeemable? In other words, like, you know, you think about the scarlet letter, right? Like, like for some, and, and in many ways there is a scarlet letter that these individuals face. Cause even when they get out of prison, they are labeled a sex offender, like for life. Yes. So, yes, so why do you think it is, even in our desire to protect children, which is good, right? Why do you think it is that this is seen as like the sin that is unforgivable?
1: Um, you know, interestingly enough, and then a point you haven't brought up is even amongst other prisoners, these these sex offenders that are put in prison are at a high risk of uh, of being beat up, of being abused, um, uh, just their, their own personal safety is at a risk because other prisoners want to punish them by attacking them and beating them up. Um, and so they have to spend a lot of time trying to, trying to protect those that are labeled sex offenders. And most of the sex offenders try really hard to keep that hidden when they get imprisoned, the reason on, on why they're there. Um, they're just, it's an easy group to hate, um, especially if you don't have a face to it. I know a lot of people in my life, even some of the people that really attacked us at the beginning, now five years into it, they have kind of come back over into my life and they kind of help out. Um, and and my husband starts to become more human to them through them knowing me and my my children and the reaction to it. Um.
0: Yeah, and can you share, I, I want you to share a little bit too about what's what's been happening in your husband's life over these years too. Because I think that's something that a lot of people, again, once this offense has been you know, a person has been charged and convicted and sent away. Again, it's almost like not only is this an unforgivable sin, but there's no possibility that that person could ever change. Right. So, Tell us a little bit about what's been happening in your husband's life during this time.
1: So uh, he, the second that the pornography piece was revealed, um, he was delivered from that, that craving, that desire of pornography, and that doesn't happen for everybody. I mean, that can, that can be a hard thing, um, but as in his own words, he must have wanted to get caught because, again, he was a computer guy who was watching illegal pornography on a laptop that belonged to work. Um, so he thinks that he knows that he had tried to confess it on several occasions prior to that point in time, but then shut down. Like one time he went into a counselor's office, with the intent of talking about the pornography addiction. And she pushed a paper in front of him saying that she had to disclose any illegal activity. And he was like, well, there goes my purpose for being here. I'll just talk about how I'm depressed, get depression meds and, and move on. Uh, I'm sorry. I forgot. Well, were just so, like,
0: Cause there's, there's been a transforma- transformative things that have been going on in his life I, in yes. terms of not only the, the issues of the, the sexual stuff, but also just how, uh, god has been working in his Absolutely. life as well. Yes.
1: Yeah, he had um an amazing god experience um within days after uh after the disclosure. We call it the 10 days, the first 10 days. Um my husband and I had a very long talk in in our room um in which he kind of confessed everything to me. Uh I I would throw my hands up at certain points in time and say that's that's enough. No more I can't take any more. And then we would stop and then after I had some processing time to go through it, I would come back to him and say, okay, now, now tell me more. Um, so we had the 10-day the disclosure of going through lots of different things. Um, the Holy Spirit just came on him and convicted him one day. We were standing in, in our kitchen, and I don't even remember what we were talking about. I was talking about something, and then uh, these words are coming out of my mouth, and my husband just fell to the kitchen floor. Um, if you had asked me prior as a Christian if I had believed that that was possible, I would have told you yes, and I would have been absolutely lying. I never, until that happened, imagined that that would happen to my husband with me talking to him through the Holy Spirit. Um, but he was, he was just washed in, in peace, and Jesus had come into his life. He had been a Christian before, but never gave over the pornography piece. Uh, and so, um, so he had quickly fallen away and had decided he was an atheist prior to this. But when Jesus came and moved in his life, um, he was like a totally different person. His, his countenance was lifted. His eyes were brighter. Um, he, When he was arrested, he went into the facilities and he was able to share the gospel of Jesus to the fellow prisoners. He was baptizing people in the showers because there are a whole bunch of men shoved in one dorm-like room and they have this tiny little sprinkler system for their shower with a curtain around it. And so they would all cram in the little sprinkle, the sprinkler system and he would just dribble some water on their head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, uh, I just, I think it's important that we, that we realize that no one is outside the reach of the grace of God. And I think sometimes even in our desire as human beings for what we think is justice, um, we forget that there is a God who is both just and merciful. Yeah. And, and I think, um, I think it's important for us to remember that because it's easy, especially when you're thinking about people who've been put in the prison systems for anything. It's it's easy for them to be forgettable. Um, and so sometimes even as Christians, we don't want to look into some of the areas that are outside of our view uh, because prisons make it easy for us to just sort of eliminate people from the society. That's so great. let's talk a little bit about the prisons. It's the, the prison environment itself. And like you, you mentioned a little bit about just the disparity of treatment mm-hmm. among, uh, there's almost like there's even still a, if you can put it this way, like a moral hierarchy, even within prison yeah. and the sex offenders are at the absolute bottom.
1: Bottom. Yeah, bottom so what does beautiful. that
0: mean both for safety, but also for just um, uh, even, treatment in general, not just from other inmates, but what's treatment like overall? Let me share
1: with you a little personal tidbit of our own story. Um, My husband was sent to a facility uh, a little bit outside of the city where where he was arrested. Um, And it was just kind of a a holding facility in the process of him going from the detention center to going to a jail. Um, The judge had asked him to be sent to one one prison, which we had requested because it was known as a safe prison for SOs. Um, because of the the bodily harm issues that SO's encounter. For some reason, the judge's recommendation was ignored and instead they sent him to this other facility, him and this one other SO. And when they arrived on the bus, the uh, correctional officers met them and said, you don't want to be here. You are in physical danger and we don't wanna have to babysit you all the time, which is what we're gonna have to do because you're here because people are gonna try to kill you. So we recommend that you go into what's called the shoe." which is where prisoners who are in trouble for something, they're sent to solitary confinement. Um, so they recommended that my husband and this other gentleman go into solitary confinement voluntarily so that they weren't in the yard with all of the other prisoners. And, uh, and my husband did that. And he was stuck in an eight by eight cell that he was in for 23 hours a day because their toilet was there. They ate there. Um, for over three months, he was not allowed to leave that room. Once he had voluntarily gone in there, they would not let him out. Um, and it was through working with his caseworker and lots of uh, pleas on his side and on our side and from other family members that he was finally released and sent to a different facility where he was safe, where it was known as safe for, for sex offenders.
0: Yeah. So then um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of what you've experienced in, and maybe even some of your views on on some of the sentencing measures, then what it looks like for um, is there even potential for early release? What does it look like to be able to even um, see your husband, for your kids to see their father? Uh, describe to us a little bit about those circumstances.
1: So my family, uh, my husband has been away for five years. My family is going on once again. It's been over, it's, it's coming up on a year since we've been able to go visit him. Um, there was a point in time, the first three years that he was in, we didn't get to see him at all. Um, sometimes we could talk to him on the phone when he was in the detention facility before he's prosecuted, we could go and see him through the window and talk to him on phones, but there was no, um, no contact. My little just turned three-year-old son could not be held by his dad, um, or interact with his dad, nor any of my other three children, um, which is just such an important part of, of their livelihood if they're growing up. Um, so walking through that again, just compounded more of what made it so difficult in this situation. Right now my husband is sentenced uh, three states away. He's serving his sentence out three states away in a different prison. Um, you would think that he's, a, he's legally bound to be close to his family, but that's not the way it actually works out in, in practice. It takes us $1,500 to go visit my husband. Um, and remember, I'm still a single mom functioning completely on my own and trying to support my family with no child support or anything. Uh, we all pile in the van and we drive and spend the night in hotels and have to eat a lot of junky fast food to get out there to go see my husband, and we can visit him only on the weekends. We'll get to see him for a couple of days, and then have to make the drive back home, which takes two drive, two days each way to drive there and back. Um, on top of the money. <laughs> yeah, so effectively,
0: you're gone a whole week, basically. Yeah, yeah me
1: Missing work and a week of all of my kids missing school.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the legal side of things. Are there any appeals? Are there any early releases? Are there any possibilities for SOs? Um, to be able to, either on good behavior or whatever else, be able to, to reduce these sentences if they've been showing progress?
1: Because this is such an easy group to hate on, there's really not a lot of access to programs for SOs. There are access to programs for drug addiction and for alcohol addiction um, that you can go in called the RDAP program. And a lot of these SOs just pray that they can prove that they were somehow addicted to alcohol or somehow addicted to marijuana or or some other drug so they can go down the drug drug probation program, which allows them to get some sentencing off. Unfortunately, in my husband's case, he was perfect. He never did drugs. He did not have alcohol addictions. He had no other addictions. His one vice was the pornography addiction. So that means that he is not eligible for those extra programs, which would take time off of his sentence. Plus, since it's federal, due to some outdated laws about um, crimes uh, crossing state borders, that means that any computer crime, which involves the Internet, is tried in the federal system instead of the state system. And the federal system, it is not as easy to get good time, you know, to get times, you know, being good taken off of your sentence as it would be if it was in the state system.
0: Now, let's talk about a myth that's out there. And I think it's a myth that's perpetuated by fear and the fact that there is this permanent label of SO attached to those who are convicted of these kinds of crimes. And that myth is that SOs must be one of the highest recidivism rates out there in terms of reoffending. Can you talk a little bit about the reality that that is absolutely untrue?
1: Yeah, that is absolutely untrue. In fact, there's, there's an organization here in Texas called Texas Voices for Reason and Justice, Um, And in their pamphlet that they have on their website, they say that registered sex offenders have the lowest recidivism rates when compared to domestic violence, battery, drug offenses, theft, robbery, DUI, and even assault. And they pulled that from the Federal Bureau of Statistics in 2006. They are just a low recidivism group. Um, I know that the DA, when my husband was first arrested, the reason that she would not let my husband out on bail, the reason she gave in the courtroom was that he was a flight risk. My husband, who is super predictable, never does anything spontaneous, never does anything out of the norm, who has lived in one spot at that time for 10 years with all of my kids involved in their schooling activities, she said was a flight risk. And we said, why, he's not a flight risk. And her reasoning was, well, now he knows that he's facing five to 20 years sentencing. And now that he knows the sentencing is so high, he's a flight risk.
0: Hmm. So is anything being done, um, uh, to to try to address some of these issues of the the disparity of treatment in the prisons, the um, potential for early release. I mean, is there anything that can be done to try to help with some of these things? For those of us who truly, truly do believe the gospel and believe that there's no sin that's irredeemable, there's no sin that's unforgivable, um, uh, any life can be transformed, and just the reality that I think some of the things that you have experienced in some of the community that you've had with other wives that are in a similar situation is that there are families that need these fathers and husbands um, in in the family and and they 're not um, like you said a flight risk or uh, you know a reoffending risk, so what could you what what encouragement maybe you could you give to families out there in these situations? And then what are some uh, places that you could point people to maybe try to find out more and, and kind of enter the fight with you?
1: Yeah. So um, resources are getting more now than they were five years ago. Um, we were really fortunate. We found be broken um, through finding a counselor that had suggested that we moved to be broken, that my husband is able to get plugged in. He was in your group. He got to join your group. Um, and that was did huge steps in helping him when he was out before he was sent into the prison. For the wives, that was much more difficult. There's an outdated model, um, what I feel is outdated, that they claim that wives are co-addicts um, or codependents. And in my case, that was not true. I knew nothing about this this addiction. There's no way I enabled it or anything that I did on my own thing um, because he he kept it so hidden from everybody. Not a single person knew anything about it. So um, what I actually ended up doing is I started a group um, called the Say So Wives Club, that uh, we are a group of wives who have incarcerated husbands, that we're just a support group and we get together on a monthly basis um, and lift each other up and pray for each other and help each other work through some of the tough stuff that is unique to to our situations. Um, And many of these wives are in the same situation that I am. All of us are struggling financially. Pretty much every single one of us is on some sort of government aid. Um, some sort of financial aid one of the members she had to give up her house among other things with her husband's incarceration Uh, and she just lives in a small room that um, that is available to her to use through a a church friend lets her stay in that room Um, and and yeah it's a there are it's it's such a a wide array of issues like I said earlier we try not to put each other and put ourselves in each other's shoes because we don't really know how we would react to each individual situation unless we're in it and Mm -hmm. unless we're there. Um, But there are certain things that we can come together and support each other with certain parts of our stories that are the same and definitely the financial one. It's funny at the close of our, of our group every month when I'm like, all right, prayer requests, we go through each member and everybody says their own prayer request, prayer requests. Everybody was saying, well, money (laughs) is the first one. And so I had to say, okay, okay, hold on guys. It's a given. We're just going to pray for finances for everybody. You know, tell, tell us more about what we can pray for you this this month.
0: So how could people get connected to some of these resources? Um, either for one, if there's some other wives out there that are in a similar situation that could use encouragement from your group or from you, but also where are some places that you can point people who want to get more informed about this and maybe even know how to take action on some of these things to try to help families like yours?
1: Honestly, the best resource for wives is at Be Broken with Gigi. Um, Gigi Hopkins is, is absolutely wonderful and helping to, uh, to help you work through things and point you to resources. Also, if, uh, if somebody is unfortunate enough to have their husband either facing uh, a, ins- a a prison system, a, a sentencing, or already have their husbands incarcerated, there's a the Say So Wives Club, um, which we, you can email us at saysowc at gmail.com. Um we have a phone number that you can reach out to at 210 660 7297 that you can reach out to us and we will gladly welcome you in. Um there's some good books that you can that you can encounter out there and I think you've got most of them on the Be Broken website too for uh for wives to reach out to with for resources.
0: hmm And then just about awareness on the the whole SO thing, the legal system, the I mean, you mentioned Texas voices. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's a, that's a place here in York. Texas. Yep. Is, do you know of any uh, organizations that are that are national in case we have people that are outside of, of the United States? Or is there a place that people could go in any other state to try to find additional resource on this?
1: Not that I'm aware of. It's, it's still as much research as I've done and the other members of the SASA so Wive Club. Um, and as long as we've walked through this, resources are still pretty slim and pretty difficult to get in contact with. Um, but, uh, but, I mean, you can always reach out uh, to, to help with the, the 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 sex offenders that are in prison um, and to, to help with their, as far as their safety. Um, what we really want to see is we really want to see these guys released to home confinement as opposed to being stuck in a situation that is physically unsafe for them. They don't want to be there. The other prisoners don't want to be there. And the correctional officers don't want them there. Um, and sometimes the correctional officers are the ones that are helping to abuse this particular group of prisoners. Um, So you can reach out to your local, uh, to your senators for your state uh, and just tell them, Hey, we want, we want to have these SOs, these sex offenders be eligible for home confinement.
0: Yeah. Well, Sheree, I appreciate your, your, uh, willingness to be on the program, your bravery. I commend you on that because it takes courage to step out and and speak on these things. And, uh, and we lift you and your family up in prayer to just, you know, Keep pressing on, but you're you're a great inspiration to all of us, and we're grateful to have you on the program today.
1: Great. Awesome. Well, thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, and listeners, if you have, uh, one, if you have more information on this that could help us or even help Cherie, please reach out to us and pass that along to us, uh, because we know we have listeners in all corners of the United States, and maybe some of you are walking this same path, and you've got some information that could be helpful to us. Uh, But also, if you're in this situation, just want more help, either from Sheree or from us, uh, please reach out to us. We'd love to help. And we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the broadcast. Take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.